Amen. Good morning, church. Good to see y'all this morning. Uh, it's a good morning. Um, man, there's so many things going on, and I want, to, uh, I want to fill you in on one of them this morning as I get to kind of get going. Um, so Matt Chapin and Sarah and the girls there in Kansas, they're at their new church, and they're preaching and teaching, and God is doing some great things for them, and we're excited about that. And we got a hole here. We got to figure out what to do. So... Uh, we have been praying as an elder team, as parents. Uh, a lot of us have been praying like, God, who, who is the next man that you're going to bring to come and to love on the students here? And, and here's the thing. So we need to be doing a couple of things. And so to understand the vision of what we're doing, um, we want to invest in the future. We want to invest in the young people in our church, in this area, that more young men and women would know and love and worship Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. A lot of us probably experience coming to Christ in some way in our junior high or high school years. I know that's how it was for me. It was a very pivotal time in my life where I learned and grew in the church. And we want to continue that. We want to grow that. And so part of our strategy is we want to grow the next generation of men and women to love and worship Jesus. The other part is, is this. As as young people come and get involved, something else happens. Their parents show up. It's, it's a thing. It's what happens. My parents started coming to church because my brothers were going to church. And so part of the strategy of how we want to grow is that we want to invest in young people. We want to invest in their parents. We want to pour into people that this area would know Christ more. And so while we've been praying, God has been working behind the scenes and answering prayers. And I get the privilege and the joy to announce that we have hired our new youth minister, Justin Whitcoff. He is going to be Yes, yeah, be excited about that. Uh, crazy story, I'm not going to go into it, but he used to be my junior high student when I was a pastor in Palmdale. I had no idea he was even looking. He married one of my junior high girls when I was a youth pastor, and so Justin and Katie will be starting tomorrow, and so today they have been helping a church plant in L.A. They're laying hands on them to send them out because they're excited about what God's doing. So I am super stoked. I can't wait for you to meet him next Sunday when they show up. Now, we can actually start preaching. Shall we start preaching? We should start preaching. <clears throat> Here's the thing, as, I, as we've been in Jonah, we've been jumping into the series, maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you were here last week, maybe you weren't, I'd say go watch the last one from last week online if you haven't seen it, but we have a God, the God of the Bible, who is constantly revealing himself to his creation all the time. That's who he is, it's what he does. He wants everyone and everything to know him and see him for who he really is the creator of all things, the one who has all things in his hand, a God who loves his people, a God who is involved with his people, and the only one who is truly worthy of our worship. See, in Genesis, we see that he's going to show himself to the world through a chosen group of people. And you might know that name by the Hebrews or the Jewish people that God was going to choose a group of people that was going to be the lamppost that would take who God was to the nations and to the world. And it starts with this guy named Abram. And Abram, who would have his name later changed to Abraham. Yeah, I'm like, it's just made it longer. Don't you make the name shorter, but God does it differently than us. And that when God told Abram that he was going to be God's special chosen people, 
that he said, I have a purpose and a reason for all of this. All the way back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, we see what God is doing and what he says with these people. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, God is revealing what he is doing with this special group of people, with the Jewish people, with the Hebrews and how he was going to do that. They were to bless the entire world, that they would be a people that would bring the light of God to the world by showing them what it looks like when you put God first, when you worship God with your whole life, when you submit to God and trust God constantly, and what it looks like when you follow and worship this God. And they would show the world this God by how they lived and how they treated each other. But they would also be a blessing because out of the line of that people group would be this one called the Messiah, called the Christ, that would save the entire world, thus being a blessing to the entire world that they would call in his name. So this special people, as they were to bless the world, what we see is that sin always makes its way into everything. Sin always messes everything up. And so God's special people weren't immune to sin and what was going on. And what ended up happening over the years is they became more increasingly focused on themselves and who they were. They started seeing this special relationship with God, not as a blessing to the world, but as a blessing unto themselves that terminated on those people. And they started to get really stingy and really tight with God's grace and God's love and God's mercy. And they said, we are God's chosen people and you are just those peons below us, that you are not loved, that you are not cared for and that we have a relationship and it's better, it's for us. And you may say, Simon, aren't we in Jonah? We are. And this is the problem, is that Jonah had the same mentality that I just described to you that Jonah felt and thought the same way, that he decided that this was more about him and his people and what they wanted, that Jonah was called to be a messenger of repentance to the Jewish people's enemy, Nineveh, the Ninevites, the Assyrians. And Jonah says, no, I'm not gonna take your grace, your love, your mercy to others. It's for me. It's not for them. We're the only ones that should receive grace and everyone else can die. That is literally what he's saying. See, Jonah was selfish with God's love. But we see that God is generous with his love and his mercy and his grace. That he gives it to who he wishes when he wishes because he's in charge. And I ended last week with the fact that Jonah was just in is just as much need of God's grace and mercy as the Assyrians were. It was just a different kind of sin, and it was just as dangerous to his relationship with God. So we pick back up where we left off last week. Jonah, he flees. He's like, eh, eh not going to do it. I'm going to get in a boat. I'm going to go anywhere with Nineveh. I'm going to go 2,500 miles in the exact opposite direction of where you're calling me. So 
Is that an intro or what? We got there. We got to the book of Jonah. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Jonah. On my Bible, it's page 865. That probably does you no good, but I'm just letting you know where it is in mine. If you want to follow along, you can follow on the screen. If you're new and need a Bible, we have Bibles in the back. Please take one and use that. We'd love for you to have that or just use your app, whatever you want to do. All right, Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 16. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous, and he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging, and the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we will start to break down what's going on in this story. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to come and to share your story, your truth, the power of who you are. Lord, I ask that we would see this picture for what it really is. It is the gospel that we would understand your great power, what you have done to bring us back into relationship to you, what repentance looks like. I ask, Lord, that if there's anything that's gonna be a distraction today with my words, that you just kinda of take those away. Uh, you would remove things from my notes that would be a, uh, unhelpful. Lord, I ask that you would use me this morning, you would speak through me, that, that I would be a conduit used by you to bring the truth and the power of your gospel to these men and women. Convict us where we need to be convicted, let us be encouraged where we need to be encouraged. Let us turn to you in all things. I pray this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so Jonah is on his not-so-great plan to run from the Lord and reject his ideas. Here's the thing. It says, but the Lord. Now, I love that saying because anytime you see but God, but the Lord, there's always this amazing thing that's about to happen in the Bible. And it's used over and over again in the Bible. But God, but the Lord. And that means that God is doing something. It's a great line that shows that he is going to intervene in our lives because he knows that we need his help. 
even though we don't know that we need his help. God sends a great wind, this huge, crazy storm, and, and, the, and he's going to, to hit the ship to disrupt Jonah's form of rebellion against God. He says, I'm going to bring this storm, and, and what we see is this, at times, God will send storms into our lives. God is going to send situations that we don't like, that are hard, that are difficult, that we don't enjoy, because at times, God is trying to get our attention. It's not all the time that this happens, but he does this at times where he wants to get our attention. He wants to see that we are not in as much control as we think we are. He wants to see that he is in control. He wants us to turn to him, to press into him, and to realize that when we move far away from God, dangerous things happen. And he wants to use those dangerous things to highlight that safety and security and peace are within him and nowhere else. And so maybe you're going through a storm in your life right now. Maybe you're going through a difficulty. Maybe you're in a spot where you're like, I've been weathering this storm for a long time. It might be that God is trying to get your attention. It might be that there's sin in your life. It might be that, that God is trying to grow you in an area that you need to grow in. And it's just taking time. We've all felt those moments in those areas. But God is using that to develop us into the character of his son. Now, what we see is that we have to ask the question, why, why does God do this? Is it because God is bored? Is it because he's just got nothing to do? Is it, is it because he's some kind of angry kid with a magnifying glass and ants? He's like, well, this will be fun. Is that the God that we're talking about? Well, no. What we see is that God loves us so much that he pursues us out of his love. He chases us down because he knows that when we make choices that are focused on us, it always leads to disaster. It doesn't land in a good place. Maybe you can think about different times when you made choices in your life and it led you in a place like, I don't like this place. And you look around to blame somebody, but all you've got is a mirror. Anyone? Just me? I'm the only one. Okay, good. You learn from me, everyone. <laughs> life apart from life is no life at all. Life apart from God is no life at all. And we see that Jonah's feeble attempt to run and hide from God. I was thinking about this. What does it look like when we try to hide from God? Have you ever played hide and seek with a small child? This is what they do. All right, I'm going to count to 10 high. And they go like this. In the middle of the room, they don't even try. They don't even get a curtain or anything. They just sit in the middle of the room and cover their eyes. It's, it's almost cute if it wasn't so sad. It's like, you, you just don't get it, do you, kid? You don't understand the rules. But this is what it's like when we try to run from God, that we are like a small child that covers their eyes and squats in the middle of the room and thinks that God can't find us. That's exactly what's happening with Jonah, that Jonah thinks he's got it all figured out, but he doesn't. And the reality is, is that what Jonah's not even understanding is that sin has consequences, and it's not just the consequences for him, that those sins at time affect other people. And maybe you've seen that, that your sins have affected other people in your life, that they've had to deal with your decisions and your problems because you've decided to run from God, that you've decided to reject God. 
And what we find is because of this, it's no different for Jonah. And we are introduced to a new group of people in this story. It's the sailors, or as the Bible would tell us, the mariners. And it's not a boat full of baseball players. That's not who it is. It's mariners is another name for sailors, those that are in boats. Now, we know some stuff about these sailors. We don't know a ton. But we do know that most likely they were Phoenician sailors because of where they were and what they did. It was their trade. It's how they lived. And in that day and in that age, what ended up happening is whatever your father did is most likely what you would do. And you would learn because they would teach you and then you would do that trade. The reality is they probably spent their entire life on boats on the water. That they were with their dad slowly and they learned how to do that. And then they learned how to, you know, move and, and do the tides and read the stars. I talked to a guy this week. He's like, yo, I've sailed like 22,000 miles. I'm like, that's really cool. He's like, before GPS. I'm like, now that's really cool. He's like, yeah, he's like, we just use the stars. I'm like, like a pirate? He's like, yeah, like a pirate. I'm like, that's amazing. And so... These guys would have known how to, how to read the stars, how to understand the tides, how to know what was going to happen. And what I'm saying is they were very, very seasoned individuals. They had been on the water so much. They had seen their fair share of storms on the sea and bad weather and how to endure that and what to do to survive. It, it wasn't their first rodeo. They were accustomed to it. But we see in this passage that the term great wind Great and mighty tempest were there. What, what that means is this, if you're unfamiliar with those terms, a violent wind, thunder and lightning, the kind of storm that they make movies about, that Mark Wahlberg will be in. That's the kind of storm that we're talking about here. And so they had seen so many, but they're at a point where like, this is a problem. This storm is so violent. This storm is so dangerous. What's happening right now is so out of control that it's literally starting to crack and break the wood that the boat is made out of. Not because they're hitting rocks, because the waves are so strong and it's, it's stressing out the vessel. And so these guys who have been on the water, it says that how, how would these tough guys, these seasoned sailors respond? It said that they were afraid. If you've been in a situation like that, you're like, it'll be fine. We'll get, no, they're like, we're afraid. We've never seen anything like this. What do we, what do we do right now? And it's funny. If you've been with people that are in a situation that they usually have control over and it gets so out of control that they don't know what to do, something happens. When you realize you can't save yourself, you, you cry out to any and everything, some supernatural power, some supernatural being to intervene and save you from that situation. Usually you'll see that when there's turbulence on a flight, right? Oh God, please help me. Oh God, please get me out of this. Please get me on the ground, Lord. It's that same idea. And so you've got these sinners that are like, all right, we've tried almost everything. Um, we need to talk, start talking to gods here. Any God that we can find. And there's going to be a transition. And I want you to understand that they use the term God, lowercase g, as they're talking. Pray to whatever God you worship, whatever God that you believe in, whatever God you think is going to save you. Uh, I don't care what it is. Pray to that God so we can be delivered from this danger, that we can be brought back to safety. And they're praying to their fake gods to save them, and nothing's happening. 
And in this last ditch effort, what they decided to do is like, all right, we're going to sink. We're taking on water. Well, what do they do? You want to make the boat more buoyant, right? You want the boat to be on top of the water. So they start throwing the cargo off the boat. Some of that cargo would have been their tackle and their ropes and the things that allow them to be sailors. Some of it would have been supplies that people had paid them to take to Tarshish. Like that, it would have been like, we're going to go there. We're going to get, so they're throwing away the money and the goods and whatever they could to lighten the boat because they realize, I just rather live and I'll deal with the consequences later. And that's the situation that they're in. It's not good. It's actually looking really bad. So with all this chaos going on, where is Jonah? He is sound asleep below deck. And you need to ask the question, why is he sleeping? Well, to answer your question, I'll answer a different question. Why don't we sleep? You ever think about that? Now, I talk to a lot of people, and if there's one thing I hear all the time is, I don't sleep very well. I didn't sleep very well last night. I don't sleep very well. I hear that all the time. As a matter of fact, I counsel people, and one of the questions that I tend to ask them is like, tell me about sleep. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, tell me how your sleep schedule is. Tell me, um, do you sleep well? Do you wake up in the middle of the night? Do you wake up multiple times in the middle of the night? Because how you sleep is an indicator of what's going on in your heart. It shows where you are. When things are well, we tend to sleep really well. But when things are hard and things are difficult, our mind starts racing and our mind starts thinking and we replay events that took place in our life. We think about all the things that are going on. We think about the decisions that we made. We, we look at our bank account and we really don't say, oh, I don't have any money, how am I gonna pay my bills? You're like, taxes just came. You're thinking about taxes. We're thinking about all these things. We're thinking about what's been happening to us, what the future looks like, what's going on with one of our kids, with one of our family members, with, with our spouse, with someone that we work with. We think about those that we love. We think about people that are sick, and we start to worry, and our mind starts racing as though we can control the situation. I got to figure out a way to make this happen. I got to fix this situation. And our minds spin and spin and spin, and we can't sleep. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, it happens to all of us. And so we tend to have a hard time to sleep because we can't shut our brains off because we're thinking about what can I do or I've created this world and if I stop thinking, this world would collapse on me and I can't control the world in which I've made. Here's the thing. What can we learn about that in relation to Jonah being sound deeply asleep while there's a raging storm and the boat is breaking and sailors are swearing and throwing stuff off the side. Well, what we find really, like, really clearly is he doesn't have a care in the world. He's like, I don't care about anything. I don't care about anyone. It's great. I made this great decision to run from God. I made this great decision to not take God's word to these people that are going to perish. I'm really okay with my decision. I'm so okay that I can just conk out and I don't need to worry about nothing. And at times it's funny, I watch people and they'll make these decisions in life like, this is gonna be a great choice. And they make these horrible choices and they think that everything's great. They're like, finally, the freedom that I wanted to do what I wanna do. And they don't see the world unraveling around them. They don't see the waves that are coming and crashing against their life. And then all of a sudden they wake up and they realize that things are out of control in their life. They're like, how did, I, how did this happen? I go, really? 
Like, this is your choice. Like, you decided that this was the, the, the route that you wanted to go. This is what you wanted to do. See, but God loves Jonah. And he's going to wake him up and show him what life looks like when you run from him. So the captain comes down. And the captain's like, are you kidding me, dude? Really? You're sleeping? Like, everyone's working and you're taking a nap. You ever been at a job that that's the guy? You're like, the guy who's always on lunch break? Everyone's laughing like, not me, it's him. Maybe that's you. That's bad. Don't do that. When people are working, work with them. That's just kind of how that works. Free lesson. So he's like, what are you doing? Pray to, just, if you're going to do something, pray to a God, any God, and ask for help. And then he uses this word that's been reoccurring in our story. There's a couple words. One is hurl, hurling things, and the other is arise. It's the same word that God's been trying to get Jonah to do is to arise, to get up, to be put into action, to go about what I've called you to do. And he uses the word arise. And the funny thing is, is that he does. He listens to the pagan sailor more than he listens to God in this moment. Like he's so far gone that he's taking his instruction from someone other than God. This, and he's the prophet, right? And at this point, it's like, you pray however you need to. But here's what I love about the sailors. We get this glimpse into the life of the sailors. They understand that there's a God that they need to worship. They understand that there is more to this life than just them. They understand and they're seeking for the God that will be in relationship with them, the God that will listen to them, the God that will answer them. And so you start to see the hearts of the sailors that they are seeking for a God. They just don't know that there is one true God that loves and pursues them, that cares for them. They just don't know it yet. So after who knows how long of trying to stay afloat, they decide to cast lots. And, and you may like, I don't know what that means, Simon. A lot of us don't know what that means. Sometimes it's sticks, sometimes it's straws, like drawing straws. Most likely what it was, it was some kind of dice that they would make with dots on them, and then everyone would roll the dice, and the colors on the dice would represent if that was the person or not the person, and everyone would roll, and they'd figure out, like, well, that just seems like a bunch of hooey. Whether it is or not, that's another sermon for another day about the sovereignty of God. But the lot falls on Jonah as the guy that's responsible for it. So whether you disagree with it or not, it's kind of accurate in this story. Like Jonah's the dude and they're like, what did you do? And it goes from like, hey, can you pray to a full-blown interrogation of Jonah? Who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing? What are you about? What country? What people? Why did you bring evil upon her? And they're just like rattling off all this stuff. Who are you? What's going on here? And verse 9 gives us the answer. It says this in verse 9. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So he says, I'm a Hebrew, and I feel the capital L-O-R-D. You ever see that in your Bible when you see all caps? That's actually really important. That is actually the proper name of the, the, the Lord, the name that God refers to himself, and it's Yahweh. That is the name that he's saying. Um, and it's a clear distinction in that moment from all the other gods that these sailors are trying to address for help. And Jonah says, this is the one true name of the God of the universe. And he says, it's the God who created the sea and the God who created the dry land. What's he really saying? He's saying the entire world is made up of water 
and earth. And he made it all and he controls it all. He is the God, not a God. And that's what he's saying in this moment to these guys. And they got afraid. Like, so like the one God is the one that you've decided to run from? By the way, if he made the sea, you thought it would be a good idea to get on a small, frail boat and go 2,500 miles away? Like, that is your thought process, Jonah. He's like, yeah, that's how I'm going to do it. That's where we are. And it's funny because Jonathan says, and I fear the Lord. Really? Because he told you to do something, you're like, "Uh uh-uh. Like, if you feared the Lord, you're going to do what the Lord has told you to do, not go the other direction. Because what you're saying is by running from him, you don't really fear him because you don't feel the consequences that will come. And he's running away from him. And it says that the God who made the heaven and earth, what he's saying is that the God of everything. He holds everything in the palm of his hands. And so he tells them, I'm running from God. This is what happened. And they're like, what have you done? What can we do to appease this God? What can we do to have this peace with this God named Yahweh? Because as this was happening, the storm was getting increasingly worse. It wasn't calming down. He had admitted at this point, like, yeah, this is me. It's my fault. He's not making excuses. Like, yep, I'm the guy. And it was getting worse. Now, there's some debate about what Jonah says next. And I'm going to give you some, I always like to give you like what I've read, what I've studied. And I've wrestled through this all week because I'm just like, man, what is it really saying? And so here are the two thoughts. And Jonah says, throw me in the water, throw me in the ocean and everything will be better. What is he really getting at? And what is he truly saying? So one group is, okay, Jonah figured out that everything he'd done was sin, everything that he'd done was bad. He finally came to a point of self-realization that I am in sin and I should repent and I should turn back to God. So that is one school of thought. Like, here's all my sin, I get it, I'm repenting. But there's this other darker way of looking at this. And the other side of this coin is, I hate the Assyrians so much I despise them so much. I so hope that they don't have peace with God that I am willing to get thrown in the ocean and die so that message won't go to them. That's dark. Now, as I have studied and wrestled and read through this, I I think that there's some stuff going on here and I want to kind of, I want to lay out a couple of things. A, I do believe that at this point, Jonah is repenting. But the question is, what is he repenting of? In our house, we have this thing that we do. We don't say sorry. We say, will you forgive me? And then we say, and they say, and we say, of what? And then we have to name the sin so we know what we're actually asking forgiveness of. Right? That's how we do it. And the problem is that Jonah doesn't do it this way. So we don't know. What is he really repenting of? So he's repenting of something. He's owning up to the fact that this is his fault. So here's how I have landed with this. I, I believe that he's repenting from running away from God. I think he's realized that running away from God is foolish. Not listening to God was foolish. It was sin. It was rebellion. It was rejection of God. It wasn't submitting to him. And he realized, man, I should not have run from God. So I think he gets that. 
But I think that that's where it stops. Because as you read later, as next week we get into his prayer, you'll see what he's praying about. And as the weeks that follow, you'll see really where his heart's at. Here's the thing. Sin is like an onion. Jonah's heart is like an onion. And there are these layers that God is peeling back in our life. That there are these bigger sins that we start to, to move across. And when those sins are peeled back, we realize that there's more going on underneath that next layer. That there's more sin. And I think that God is having to start to pull away these layers of sin in Jonah's life and in Jonah's heart so he can understand who he is and what he's actually doing. And, and as we start to see this idea of this onion of sin in his life, like, I think that Jonah, he, how is he going to be able to bring a message of repentance to a group of people if he doesn't actually understand what true repentance looks like? And so he has to get to a place where he understands the base level of what he needs to repent of to this God that needs to be, um, have an atonement for sins and rebellion. See, he has to understand the weight of his rebellion if he's going to take a message of repentance to a group of people. And here's the thing. God's anger was manifested in the storm that surrounded him. He could clearly see because of his choices, this is what's happening. That there is no peace. There is no shalom. There is no harmony with God. And the storm was the manifestation of what it looked like when you rebel against God. That this sin produced an anger and a wrath in God. But here's the thing. The storm wasn't settling down and something had to happen. He confessed. He admitted. But the storm hadn't gone away. And so the sailors hear this and Without spoiling things, we're going to get into Jonah's heart a little bit more as we get moving on. But these non-Jewish people, these sailors, these pagans, are watching this scenario play out. This guy's running from God. It produces this storm and this wrath, and there needs to be some kind of appeasement for the storm to go away. And he's like, throw me in. So like, a sacrifice? That will appease God? And the sailors are like, we're not doing that. We're not going to kill this dude. Grab the oars, start rowing. Let's get back to dry land. Well, there's got to be a different way to solve this. Let's figure it out. They've already tried a lot of things to appease it. They've tried throwing all their stuff in, and it didn't work out. They're talking to this guy, like, throw me in. He's like, I don't, we're not going to throw you in. That's horrible. Like that. We don't want your blood on our head. And what we see is that these pagan sailors are actually showing the most amount of compassion at this point in the story versus Jonah, who should have been showing compassion all along. It is an upside down story where everything that should happen doesn't and everything that, that shouldn't happen does. And that's exactly what's happening in this story. And so they're trying to figure it out and they finally are getting, uh, they're, they're giving up. They're like, we can't get to land. And it says this, they cry out to the Lord capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. A shift has happened in the sailors' hearts. They're not crying out to their gods anymore. They have now shifted and turned their attention to the God of the Bible, the proper name of the Lord, and say that we don't want this man's blood to be on our hands. See, they, they saw the power of the Lord and they saw what was going on. But yet, as they saw it, they gave in to what God required, which was a sacrifice. So they threw him, Jonah, into the sea to a certain doom 
to his death, to his destruction, to his punishment for rejecting God's command. They knew him going overboard was going to be his death. If you've watched, ever watched Deadliest Catch, you go in the water, that's it. You're gone. There is no saving. You're gone. And it's even worse than those storms. So they know what they were doing. And as soon as they throw them in, the water settled and the storm stopped. And it says that they were exceedingly afraid. Meaning, they saw the power of God. They saw how his wrath was satisfied by the sacrifice. And they couldn't do anything but worship that God. So they offered a sacrifice and they made vows. What are they doing? They are devoting themselves to who? The L-O-R-D capital, Yahweh. Like that, there, there is no other response. When you see the power of God, when you have an interaction with God, the one true God of the universe, the only thing you can do is get on your knees, repent, and worship that God. That's what he's saying. It reminds me of a story that we'll hear later in the Bible as we go through God's word. And it's in Mark chapter 4. There's another event with a storm that's going on, with a boat that's going to get swamped, that's going to be overtaken. And there's a different man in a boat, and he's sleeping as well. Do you see how God is using all these stories to show his big story? Jesus is in the boat. He's sleeping. Everyone's freaking out. We're going to die. It's not horrible. Why is Jesus sleeping? He doesn't have a care in the world. You know why? Because his God is sovereign and God has him on a mission. He's not going to take him. He gets it. He's sleeping good. And the men wake him up. And he woke and rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great what? Fear. The same response that the sailors had in the water. They see the power of God and there's great fear. And he said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know who it is? It's Yahweh. It's the God of the universe who created the sea and the land, the one that submits to his voice and his voice alone. Only Jesus could command the sea to do because he is God. See, he can speak to the sea. He can tell it what to do. And even the disciples who were with him are like, who is this guy? He's the Lord of the universe. That's who Jesus is. This parallel shows the story of the gospel and the sacrifice of Christ. I want to point out a few things that might help you see the bigger story in this smaller story and, and, and how God is showing what he's doing in the world. See, Jonah had sinned and run from God. He had rejected God and decided to go his own ways. He thought he knew what was better. In a sense... We are Jonah. We're just like Jonah in the story as we run from God to pursue the things that we think are best instead of submitting to God. We've all done it, right? We know what God's called us to do. We say, I'm going to do my thing because I think I'm smarter. I got it figured out. No, God. And in a sense, we're saying, you're not holy. You're not perfect. You are wrong, and I'm better than you. That's the problem. That's sin. That's why that's an issue. What we see is that instead of submitting to God, he creates this turmoil in his life. 
See, God allowed Jonah to run. He allowed him to run from him. He could have stopped him at the boat, said, no, you're not going anywhere. But he allowed him to see what his choice has got. But he also wanted to show Jonah that God's a God who pursues him because he loves him, because he cares for him. See, God chases after us. God is chasing after you. See, but he also knows that there is a consequence to sin, rebellion against him. See, God's wrath was tied up in the story in the form of the storm. Even though Jonah had admitted to running from God, the storm continued. It wasn't enough that we just say, ah, my bad. At the end of the day, the storm would not relent until there was what? A sacrifice to appease the wrath and the anger of God. It had to be paid for. Somehow. If this is the picture of our sin, then that means that we have earned God's wrath and there is a storm that is going to destroy us. Well, it needed to be paid for, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus became the sacrifice that would appease the storm and the wrath of God that we had earned. And what, if we take the story a little bit further, Jesus threw himself into the ocean, into God's full wrath, and absorbed that so we wouldn't have to. That Jesus died in our place. And we'll see how this plays out with three days, maybe a little bit next week, okay? But Jesus says this in John 3, not 16, but in 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, he's come to save us from this storm, from God's wrath, by taking the place of us. Now, whether the sailors understood this picture completely or not, I don't know. But they saw that Jonah was running from God, that he wasn't going to share the message of a loving God who chases after his people. He showed a bunch of pagan sailors who were not Jews the gospel. And they saw that a sacrifice was made and that God's love was not isolated to one group of people. See, they got that. They understood that. The guy who was trying not to share the gospel with non-believing Jewish people in that day and age is exactly doing what he didn't want to do with these pagan sailors. God was going to bring that message. Even in Jonah's rebellion, God was bringing that message so they would see it. They realized that God's wrath can only be absorbed by a sacrifice, and so they gave a sacrifice and made vows to God to worship him. That's what they did. See, what we're seeing is this a fulfillment that God promised to Abram in Genesis 12. This is what he's doing. He is going to use these people as a blessing to the world that this Jesus was going to come from this line of people that would be a blessing on a cosmic scale, not just an isolated group of people. That he's saying that we need to stop worshiping our false gods and turn to the one true God. You're like, well, Simon, I don't worship false gods. I don't have little shrines. Maybe you do. Maybe they're in your garden. You just don't know that they're false gods. That's another story for another day. But here's the thing. Satan doesn't care what god you worship as long as you worship some other god than the one true god. 
And what I have seen over the years is that we do worship gods every single day. And I call it self. We love ourselves. And we worship us. And we do everything for us. We are constantly striving out, what can we do to elevate myself and who I am and what I want? Until you can let go of the worship of self, of making you the center of the universe that everyone needs to adhere to. We're not going to understand how much we have a God who loves us more because we will fail ourselves every single time. Every Christian at some point has come to this place, right? You came to a place where you realized the weight of your sin and that it had to be forgiven and you've fallen on your knees and repented and cried out to God, God, save me. I need you, Jesus. I need the life that you live, not the life that I'm living. I need to have God's wrath absorbed and I don't want to do it. And every Christian has felt the grace of God that was poured out on each and every one of them so they could receive that grace. And in a sense, we're all like the sailors, aren't we? Gentiles, non-Jewish people that God has saved. Now, there might be a few Jewish people in here, and that's awesome. But I'm going to bet there probably aren't many. And that most of us are just like the sailors. That each one of us has received that grace. And some of you are here, and I would say this. My hope and prayer all week has been that you would see the power of God the way that those sailors did. And you would realize that there is a storm raging and there is the wrath of God waiting. And you would understand that there is a sacrifice that has been made. And if you place your trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you too would be saved. And that the ocean would become calm and you would have right relationship with God, and you would have the shalom and the peace that you long and desire, and that today would be a day that you would submit your life to Jesus Christ, that you would place your life in his. You don't have to run anymore, that you have been forgiven, that he has done a work in your life, that you can be saved, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, and that you would worship capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh and that you would repent like a sailor. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you would open our eyes as we see your story unfold, as we see who you are in light of all that's going on around us. That as we see Jonah, that we are like Jonah, as we see the sailors and we are like the sailors, that you would help us understand who we are in relationship to that and that you would use this story to open our eyes. Maybe we need to repent of something that we're running from. Let us do that. Maybe we're like the sailors and we don't even realize until just now that your power, what you've done, that we would call on you. Use this, Lord, as a, as a window into our hearts. Let us peel back the onion of sin in our lives. We love you. We're grateful for you. We pray these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen.